Panolti. Hello, my name is Marisol. Welcome to Perspectives from Avia Yala and Beyond, broadcasting to the facilities of Trent Radio. In this bilingual space, we promote our indigenous ways of thinking and living, oriented to community well-being from all over the Avia Yala. This radio show is produced on the traditional territory of the Michisagic peoples of the Anishinaabek Nation. This place is known as Nogojiwanong and is encompassed by Treaty 20 and the Williams Treaty. As an immigrant, I am grateful for the opportunity to be here and I thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. I recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this place. Para las personas que nos están escuchando en países donde se habla español, gracias por sintonizarnos y bienvenidos a este programa de radio que se llama Perspectivas desde Avia Yala y más allá. Mi nombre es Marisol y estoy emitiendo a través de la estructura de Trent Radio, inspirada en la idea de promover la práctica del buen vivir y convivir desde las múltiples perspectivas indígenas que han poblado este continente por miles de años. Este programa está producido en el territorio tradicional del pueblo Michisagig de la nación Anishinaabek, en Nogojiwanong, que está incluido en el Tratado 20 y el Tratado Williams y actualmente es conocido como Peterborough, Canadá. Como inmigrante en este territorio, estoy agradecida con todas las generaciones de personas que han cuidado de este por miles de años y reconozco y aprecio profundamente su conexión con este lugar. Songs, music, dance, and ritual performances have blossomed in the universe of the feast whenever humankind has developed a culture, and in ancient Mexico was far from being an exception. Conquerors and friars provide vivid descriptions of what they taught of the indigenous feasts they viewed with astonished eyes. Native chroniclers, who in some cases had participated in them, depict their ancient splendor. Tonight, we're going to talk about a few poets of Mexico in the days of Mexica splendor. Translated by Miguel Leon Portilla, these poets mourn for dead friends and heroes, and they contemplate their own death through their poems. This episode is all in English, and most of the content comes from a book which was published by the National University of Mexico Press in 1967. The name of the book is 15 Poets of the Aztec World. In the place of the colored arts of the painted shields is Tenochtitlan. There open their corollas the flowers of the giver of life. Cantares Mexicanos, National Library of Mexico. Head of many conquered provinces, Mexico Tenochtitlan was a city rooted in the fulfillment of a prophecy. Its founders, according to their annals unto oral tradition, had arrived there around the year 1325th. After a long journey, they undertook in response to a promise of their tutelary god. For many years, they had lived in a northern place called Aztlanchicomostoc, place of the herons at the Seven Capes. There, they were servants of others, living under the authority of those who ruled the northern land. They were called Aztecs at first, but that name pertained in reality to their ancient rulers. When their god made plain his will to free them and they undertook their journey, they changed their name. Their new appellative, Mexica, was derived from one of their god's titles, Mexictli, 
Some people say that Meshichli means moon's navel, but that's not entirely true. He had promised to lead them to a marvelous place, an island in the middle of a lake surrounded by fertile lands in a region encircled by mountains covered with forests and with transparent skies. The gods' promise became a reality, but at first it was very difficult to settle there as the place already belonged to others, the lords of Azcapotzalco. Suffering and endurance were two sine qua nons, perhaps required to repay their god for their fulfillment of his promise. And one ought to recall here that, once the Mexica had settled on the island, the portentous god Wishilopostli enunciated another prophecy. He encouraged his people and let them forever know that, as long as the world will exist, the fame and the glory of Mexico Tenochtitlan will not perish, will not come to an end. What was at first a humble town tributary to the owners of the island, the Tepanics of Estapotzalco, began to grow and as if it were destiny became increasingly powerful. Confrontation with Azcapotzalco was inevitable. Favored by their gods, the Mexica and their allies defeated their ancient rulers and from then on, so Wichilopostli's promise fulfilled beyond anything they had expected. During the little less than a hundred years before the Spanish arrival, the power and the glory of Mexico Tenochtitlan increased at the expense of many other provinces and chiefdoms independent until then. The Mexica established a triple alliance with the Texcocans and the people of Tlacopan, a town that replaced Azcapotzalco and became the head of a puppet state. The Allies conquered and made many peoples their tributaries, from the Gulf Coast to the Pacific Ocean, reaching places as far away as the modern Mexican border with Guatemala. Conquests and commerce transformed the economy and standards of living of the Mexica and their allies. Their metropolis became a magnificent town, with its main temple built and rebuilt larger each time. There were also numerous palaces, schools, military headquarters, warehouses, and of course, other temples in the various wards of the city. Mexico Tenochtitlan was indeed the head of an impressive political organization that some authors have described as an empire. There, in the largest metropolis of the Americas, high culture flourished in a variety of forms. The Tlamatinime, or sages, transmitted the ancient wisdom in the Calmecac, or centers of high learning. The calendar, the books of the years, the sacred hymns, and other songs and discourses were also taught in the schools. The names of some artists, among them painters and architects, have been preserved in the ancient texts. The available testimonies also speak of the composers of songs. Some of them were born in Mexico Tenochtitlan, such as Tochiwitzin Koyolchauki, or Teoshinmak and Makulshochitzin, a lady daughter of the famous Tlacalel, the advisor to several high rulers. Others came from the northern inland of Tlatelolco. Such was the case of the unfortunate Lord Monkiewitzin and the renowned captain Temilotzin. There were also composers in the allied town of Tlacopan and in the defeated and subjugated Azcapotzalco. Those composers of songs like Kinga Shayakat, who was also in love with poetry, were members of the high nobility. 
Totokiwatzin and Tetlapenketzanitzin were lords of Tlacopan, and Okitzin was ruler of Azcapotzalco. The songs and flowers that can be attributed to them, as well as many other compositions, anonymous creations of the priests, sages, and other people of Mexico Tenochtitlan, give eloquent testimony to the art and wisdom that flourished in the metropolis that, in spite of the Spanish conquest, was destined to exist forever. It is true that the thought and symbols of flower and song flourished as nowhere else among the sages and poets of Texcoco. It would be sufficient to recall the names of Nezahualcoyot, Cuacuahuatzin, Nezahualpili, and Cacamatzin. Their extant poetic creations permit at least an insight into the depth of their feelings and thinking. In contrast to the spiritual leanings and philosophical reflections so frequent among the poets and sages of Texcoco, it would seem obvious that thought and poetry in Mexico Tenochtitlan would always revolve around the warlike themes preferred by those who consider themselves to the chosen people of the sun. This is only partly true, as shown by the Mexica Tochiwitzin Koyolchiuki, who left a Nahuatl version of the universal theme that envisions life as a dream. Tochiwitzin was a contemporary of Nezahualcoyot. He was one of the several sons of Iscoat, the Mexica high ruler who led the hostilities against the Tepanecs of Azcapotzalco. That resulted in establishing the full independence of his people, as well as the roots of their grandeur. The same analysis refers to an episode some time before the beginning of the fighting against the Tepanecas, which shows Tochihuitzin in action. It was in the year 5 Reith, or 1419, that Nezahualcoyot's father, Ixtli was assassinated by the Tepanecs, and the life of the young Tezcocan prince was also in danger. At that time, Tochihuitzin and several of his brothers helped save Nezahualcoyot, who was at the point of falling into the hands of his enemies, the people of Azcapotzalco. It was only due to their assistance and the aid of his faithful servant Coyohua of Teopiasco that Nezahualcoyot could find refuge with the Mexica. The exact age of Tochihuitzin when he took part in this event is not known, but there is another fact recorded in the Chronica Mexicayot that helps to clarify the point. Tesosomoc mentions that Tochihuatzin married a Chihuapolzin, a daughter of the famous counselor Tlacalel. Because this probably occurred shortly after his participation in the rescue of Nezahualcoyot, it can be assumed that in 1419 he was no more than 25 years old. The date of his birth can thus be placed in the late 14th century. In addition to the rescue of Nezahualcoyot, Tochihuitzin was very likely active on other occasions during the war with Azcapotzalco, at the side of his father Iscoat and of his father-in-law, the far-sighted and powerful Tlaquelel, and also assisting his uncle, the young Moctecuzoma Ilwicamina, Tochihuitzin contributed as a warrior to the victory that represented the beginning of the Mexica nation's greatness. According to another testimony of the Chronica Mexicayot, and probably as a reward for his courage, he was appointed years later as ruler of Teotlalcinco, a town neighboring on the region of Huesotzingo. 
on the eastern slopes of the Iztaccíhuatl volcano. There, Tochehuitzen lived with his wife, the daughter of Tlacalel, free to devote some time to his meditations and poetry. Nothing more is known of his life, his actions as ruler, or the manner and date of his death, which probably took place during the second half of the 15th century. His nickname, Koyolchauki, means maker of little bells, which could mean that he practiced this craft during his youth, or, metaphorically speaking, could refer to his gifts as a composer of songs. On at least one other occasion he is mentioned, together with other well-known poets from the re region of Huejotzinco, in one of the anonymous songs in the collection preserved in the National li Library of Mexico. In that collection of songs, there are two brief compositions attributed to Chochi Witsin. In them, the maker of little bells appears as a genuine Tlamatini, a sage, deeply concerned with discovering the meaning of existence. The first of these poems conveys a comment on the concept of life as a dream. Tochiwitzin points out a parallel. We have come to earth only to dream, and our dream vanquishes quickly. Our being is like an herb, our heart gives forth flowers, but these also very quickly wither. In his second poem, Tochiwitzin refers with keen insight and concision to the theme of flower and song. Sages and princes leave the song and at least in part, unveil the mystery of the flower. Tochiwitzin says he is merely a weaver of twigs. The strands of flowers fall away from him. There where the sages abide. These two songs, the only examples of Tochiwitzin's creativity, suffice to justify his inclusion among the most celebrated Cuicapique, composers of songs of the pre-Hispanic Nahuatl world. We come only to dream. Thus spoke Tochiwitzin. Thus spoke Koyolchauki. We only rise from sleep. We come only to dream. It is not true. It is not true that we come on earth to live as an herb in springtime. So is our nature. Our hearts give birth, make sprout the flowers of our flesh. Some open their corollas, then they become dry. Thus spoke Tochiwitzin, thus spoke Coyulchauqui, Cantales Mexicanos, National Library of Mexico. You have lived the song. You have lived the song. You have unveiled the flower. You, O oh princess, I Tochiwitzin, I am only a weaver of twigs. The garlands of flowers fall out there. It was not only in Texcoco that some of the poets of ancient Mexico were found among the high rulers and other prominent dignitaries. In Tenochtitlan as well, more than one white Latuani, or supreme leader ruler, had a clear predilection for poetry. It is true that most of the songs of Mexica provenance that have survived must be attributed to anonymous authors but we know, at least, the names of some famous forgers of songs among the people of the sun. Among those who held the rank of supreme ruler or wait Latuani, the sources record the, that Moctecuzoma's Ilwicamina, 
Ashayakat, and Awitzot, as well as the unfortunate Mutekusoma Shokoyotzin, were composers of songs. Two particularly beautiful poems that can be attributed to Ashayakat will be considered in the following minutes. The first is a recollection of his ancestors, and the second, a sad song composed after the only defeat the Mexica suffered during the days of their splendor. The chronicler, Chilmalpajin, recalls that Ashayakat was the son of the Mexica prince Tesosomoxin and a lady from Tlacopan named Huitzilxochitzin. It must be emph emphasized that his father, Tesosomoxin, Though he never ruled in Tenochtitlan, was a descendant of its squad and had three sons who became supreme lords, Ashayakat, Tisak, and Awitzot. Surprisingly, as the Mexica chronicler Alvarado Tesosomoc has noted, the youngest Ashayakat was the first to attain this supreme honor, thanks mainly to the insistence of the powerful consular Tlacaelil, well along in years. The exact date of Ashayakat's birth is not known, but it can be inferred from a statement often found in the sources, as in their account of the war against the Matlatzincas in 1474, that he was only a very young man. If at the time of that war he was barely 25 years old, he must have been born somewhere around the year 9 house or 1449. Ashayakat was elected Huitlatuani, supreme ruler, of the Mexica in 1468. Thus, on the decision of Tlacalel and with the approval of Nezahualcóyotl, the supreme command was committed to the care of a valiant youth, of whom great things could be expected. His elder brothers, Tizoc and Awitzolot, were not of this opinion and very promptly made their discontent public according to the record of Alvarado Tesosomoc. They, the elder brothers, had no respect for Ashayakat, the youngest, and made derogatory remarks about the conquests of the Mexica, wherever they were. When Ashayakat led the attacks and captured prisoners, and they said, is Ashayakat really a man? Does he really know how to capture prisoners in war? But the same Mexica chronicler goes on to say, Although Ashayakat was the youngest, he was nevertheless a great warrior who had conquered the Huejotzinca. For this reason, they elected him first as high ruler here in Tenochtitlan. During the 13 years of his reign, Ashayakat, by his accomplishments, was able to surmount the intrigues of his brothers and confirm the opinion of Tlacaelel and Nezahualcoyot that he was a valiant youth. He took part in three wars that were particularly important for the Mexica nation. The first was against the neighboring Tlatelolca, the second against the Matlatzinca of the Toluca region, and the last against the Purepecha of Michoacán. Although it is true that Ashayakat suffered defeat in the last war, in all of them he acted as a strong and intelligent captain. A brief account of these three campaigns and of other happenings that reveal his religious concerns and his devotion to the arts will help to delineate the spiritual side of this Latuani, who came to occupy his place among the distinguished poets of the people of the sun. The rivalry between Tenochtitlan and its twin city, Tlatelolco, 
Wilton neighboring islet was of long standing. At the time Ashajakat was elected governor, Mokiwitsin, a brother-in-law of the new Mexica lord, was the ruler of Tlatelolco. There is abundant information in the indigenous sources about the reasons for the outbreak of the ancient quarrel between the closely related towns. Mokiwitsin found life impossible with his wife, the sister of Ashajakat. In his eyes, she had many defects, including such bad breath that any contact with her was unbearable, according to him. The result was that the Tlatelolcan lord repeatedly insulted the queen and openly turned for solace for his, to his numerous concubines. She was obviously offended and more and more frequently took her complaints to her brother Ashajakat. To this other aggraviation was added, as Diego Duran calls it, some unruly young men, sons of important people of Tenochtitlan, who struck up friendship in the marketplace with young girls from Tlatelolco and accompanied them back to their homes, treating them with much dishonesty, violating their purity and their innocence. And these are not my words. <laughs> these are Diego Duran's words. In the year Seven House, 1473, open warfare broke out. On the advice of Tlacaelil and assisted by other captains, Ashayaka took command of the armies. The struggle was decided very quickly. Mokiwitsin, with his lieutenant, the colonel, took refuge in the highest part of his city's temple. There, Ashayakat caught up with them and entirely boldly, he killed them and dragged them out and threw them down the stairway of the temple. Ashayakat's victory resulted in the incorporation of Tlatelolco as one part of Mexico, Tenochtitlan. Shortly afterwards, around the year 1476, Ashayakat was to have another occasion to demonstrate his courage, which interrupted other activities in which he was greatly interested. The ancient religious doctrines, poetry, and the science of the calendar, all familiar to him since his days as a student in the Kalmekak, or the school, held his attention. Durant tells how, shortly before the war, with the Matlatzinka, Ashayakat was busy with the carving of the large and famous stone, so well carved, where were where sculpted the figures of the months and years, days and weeks, so carefully that it was something to see. Besides following in detail the labor of the stone cutters who were at work on what is known today as the sun stone, it is very likely that, escaping from other tasks that his duties imposed, he devoted some hours to his interest in poetry. It is very possible that at least one of his poems, the one in which he recalls his father and other illustrious ancestors, was composed at that time. But the necessities of war, the mission of the people of the sun, whose destiny was to extend the dominions of Wishilopostli and maintain with the precious liquid the life of the heavenly body on which depended the very existence of the present age, impelled Ashayakat once more to take command of his armies, to subjugate the Matlatzinka in the Valley of Toluca, appeared at first an easy undertaking. Nevertheless, according to the Mexica chroniclers, the campaign was very difficult. The Matlatzinka resisted courageously. One of their captains succeeded in approaching Ashayakat, wounding him in one leg. Only the timely arrival of Mexica reinforcements determined the victory of the people of the Sun's army. 
the incident of Ashayaka's wound provided the theme for the Mexica poetess Miquil Sochitzin, who, while recording it, at the same time emphasized Ashayaka's pallor when she said, The flowers of the eagle remain in your hands. On every side, Ashayaka made conquests. There is another anecdote of his war that testifies to Ashayaka's modesty and also to his respect for the art of fine speech. When about to begin battle against the Matlatzinka, various Mexica captains asked Ashayakat to make a speech and harangue the troops. The young lord, perhaps disturbed as he faced the imminent struggle, but with an obvious appreciation for the value of the word at such a decisive moment, commissioned several older men to convey his ideas to the soldiers. According to the testimony of the chronicler who recounts this episode, the highest-ranking commanders of the army asked the King Ashayaka to make a speech to the entire army, but being a very young man, he did not want to do this himself, and commissioned several elders to do it for him. And he remained beside the orator who was speaking, to give authority to the words he was saying. In the memory of the people, Ashayaka's modesty remained associated with his triumph over the Matlatzinka forces. The celebrations of the victory brought rejoicing once more to Tenochtitlan. With renewed enthusiasm, the consular Tlacaelel, already advanced in years, now thought of undertaking another conquest that he considered important. It was necessary to conquer the people of the present-day state of Michoacán, and with the captives brought from there, consecrate the site where the sunstone was to be replaced the work for which Ashayakat had accepted so much responsibility. Around 1478, Ashayakat and his allies, with an army of 24,000 men, according to the chronicles, marched westward toward the region populated by the famous Purépecha. The historian Chimalpajin, who incidentally placed this war before the one against the Matitzinka, tells that Ashayakat, leading his men, spoke to them himself this time and said now we are approaching Michoacán they have fallen on them they will certainly fall the old Mexica warriors they will come to expose themselves to danger will come to finish the work the old eagles the warrior the experienced eagle with Nahuatl the ancient nobility the Mexica, already within enemy territory, discovered through their spies that the Michoacán army had about 40,000 men, an overpowering force. Then, the unforeseen but inevitable happened. The Mexica attacked the Tarascans, but the assault was so useless that, history says, they fell like flies in the water, thus all fell into the hands of the Tarascans. And so great was the massacre inflicted on them that the Mexicans had to withdraw the people who remained, lest they be swallowed up and destroyed. This time, it was sad return to Tenochtitlan. The description left by the native chroniclers of the arrival of those who survived the defeat, as well as the funeral rites and other religious ceremonies that then took place, are highly dramatic. The elders began to sing, all with their hair braided and tied, their bodies painted, token of sorrow for their captain, and like good soldiers and friends, they expressed their feelings, the wives, 
children and relatives offering their tears. It is likely that Ashayakat was strengthened and consoled by the priests, the nobles, the elders, and especially by Tlacaelel, but it did not ease his deep pain. As shown in another of his poems apparently composed a short time after his return to Tenochtitlan in the Cantares Mexicanos, in which it is included, an even more explicitly notation appears. Lord Ashayakat had it to be sung when he was unable to conquer those of Michoacán and had to return from Tlachimoloyan, because not only many captains and warriors died, but also many deserted. When composing this song, in the midst of his discourse, discouragement, Ashayakat, with the same modesty he had formerly shown, asked one of the elders to assist him because he lacked confidence in his own ability as a poet. The work is entitled We Were Quicat, Song of the Elders. Although it bewails the defeat, it also calls on strong warriors to take heart and remember that if they have been conquerors in the past, they must now recover their courage and triumph once more. Ashayakat survived this disastrous event for a few years. He still had time to experience the joys of victory as he engaged in a war against the people of Tliliwikitepec in the region of Puebla. Also, it must have given him great satisfaction to contemplate the solemn ceremony with which he inaugurated the sunstone. But the tragedy of the defeat, the greatest experience by the people of Wichilopozli, as well as the grumblings and intrigues that this once more aroused, mortified Ashayaka to such an extent that he never entirely recovered. Shortly afterward, around 1480, he fell seriously ill. Feeling death near, he ordered an image to be sculptured of Motecuzoma el Wicamina and another of himself on a rocky surface in the Chapultepec hill. Duran relates how, the following year, to Cain, or 1481, when these were finished, he had himself carried to see his statue and, in the presence of the lords, he said farewell to all of them, feeling himself near the end. And history says, that he could not return to Mexico alive, but that he died on the road on the very stretcher in which he was carried. He died a young man. He reigned 13 years, and before he died, the Zahualcoyot, the lord and ruler of Texcoco, died. Perhaps as the only consolation in his last days, Ashayakat might have had some vague presentment that among his various children, at least one would reach the supreme rank of White Latuani. His immediate ancestors were his elder brothers Tisok and Aguitzot, the ones who had grumbled so much against him. However, in the end, not one but two of his sons did succeed him, and under even more dramatic circumstances than the defeat in Michoacán. It fell to the lot of Moctezuma and Cuitlahuac, sons of Ashayacat, to look upon the last days of Mexica greatness. The probable circumstances under which Ashayakat composed the two poems that indigenous sources attribute to him have already been mentioned. Both are poems of recollection. Perhaps to face the attacks of his older brothers who reproached him for being young, he attempted to glimpse into the past, consciously identifying himself with his ancestral lineage. In his first poem, he exclaims, They devise it, the flowery war, in the region of the red color, 
those who were once with us. Squat, a former great Mexican ruler who had conquered Azcapotzalco, was a great captain. But Ashayacat comments, You were celebrated. You expressed divine words, but you died. Young and old, all go away to the region where in some way one exists. The giver of life makes no one durable on the earth. Also Motecuzoma I, Ashayacat's uncle, and the wise Nezahualcóyotl and Totokiwatzin, lord of Tlacopan, left us orphans. And later, when referring to his own father, Prince Tesosomoctli, Ashayacat says again, as if speaking to his brothers Tisokah and Anahuitzult, he also abandoned us. Each one must find his own way out of his difficulty. If there is nothing stable in the earth, if the lords and princes, who were truly great and strong, have left us orphans, the people of the village of the cities, then there is nothing surprising in uneasiness and fear. If only the new rulers could consult those who have gone away. Faced with the mystery of the disappearance of men, the only thing left to do is to concentrate on oneself to find a path here on the earth. The final questions expressed in this first poem of Ashoyacat, while echoing those of other Nahuatl composers of songs, are a testimony to personal uncertainty and sadness, but also to the depth of thought attained by some of the sages of ancient Mexico. Who could teach me about this? For this, I, in solitude, try to do away with my suffering. Ashoyacat's second composition is known as Song of the Elders after the defeat suffered by the Mexica in their attempt to conquer those of Michoacán. Ashayacat was assisted by one of the older poets in composing it. He wanted to acknowledge the Mexica failure and recall the warriors who perished there, and also joined a plea to the conquerors of ancient times to take heart. Ashayacat makes use of the same metaphor that Nezahualpili employs in his poem Om War. The two compare it to intoxication. They called us to become intoxicated in Michoacán, land of Camocoyahuac. We became drunk. The picture of the defeat is dramatic and is felt all the more deeply as it was the only one the Mexica experienced before the arrival of the Spaniards. When they saw that their warriors fled before them, the gold sparkling and the banners of Quetzal plumes shining green, they explained, Oh, do not be taken prisoners, let it not be you, make haste. But then, coming back to himself, the great lord of Tenochtitlan cries out, I am bold in war. I, Ashajakat, perhaps in my old age will these words be said by my eagle princess. I am, I am overthrown, I am scorned, I am ashamed. Ashayacat was a man whose face and heart were doubly racked with pain. In the first of his poems, he confesses uncertainty and anxiety about the mysteries of the region of the dead. Then he is distraught by the disgrace of the battle that would give his rivals, his own brothers, much to talk about. But while Ashayacat felt the bitterness of his own anguish, he always found new courage in remembering his ancestors. He exclaims, on the mat of the eagles, on the mat of the tigers, your grandfather is exalted, Ashayacat. Our darts, or weapons, are still powerful. With them we brought glory to our people.
And finally, as if retreating within himself to find an answer to his problem, in a kind of a scoffing skepticism, he finishes his song with these words. For this, I, your grandfather, I can laugh at your woman's weapons, at your woman's shields, conquerors of ancient times, life once again. If Ashayaka, the youngest son of Princess Osomok, has come down in history as a great ruler of the Mexica, he must also be included among the masters of the world who were born in Mexico Tenochtitlan. Song of Ashayacat, Lord of Mexico Here on the earth the flowery dead has descended. It is coming near. They devise it in the region of red color. Those who are with us, an outcry rises. There the people are urged forward. In the interior of he heaven there are sad songs. With them one goes to where in some way one exists. You are celebrated, you express divine words, but you died. He who has compassion for men makes wry faces. You have made it this way. Perhaps no man has spoken thus. He who preserves becomes weary. The giver of life will not invent anyone once more. Day of weeping, day of tears, your heart is sad. Will the lords have to come a second time? Alone I remember its coat, for him sadness enters my heart. Was he weary then? Perhaps fatigue overcame the master of the house, the giver of life. He makes no one durable on this earth. Where will we have to go? For this sadness enters my heart. The departure of people continues. All go away. The princes, the lords, the nobles. They left us orphans. Mourn, O oh my lords. Perhaps someone comes again. Perhaps someone comes back from the region of the fleshless. Will they come to teach us something? Motekusoma, Nezahualcoyo, Totokiwatsin. They left us orphans. Mourn, O oh my lords. Where does my heart stray? I, Ashayakat, I seek them. The Sosomokli abandoned us. For this, I find my way alone out of my difficulty. Is the city what they deserve, the lords who came to govern, who have left them abandoned? Will there perhaps be an end to pain? Perhaps they will come again. Who can teach me about this? For this, I, in solitude, try to do away with my suffering. Cantares Mexicanos, National Library of Mexico Song of the Elders They called us to become intoxicated in Michoacán, land of Camacoyoahuac. We went in search of offerings. We Mexica, we became drunk. At what moment did we leave the old eagles, the warriors? How the Mexica did act, the old ones almost dead with drunkenness. No one says we fought with old women, Chimalpopoca, Shayacat. There we leave your little grandfather, Kakamaton. In the place of drunkness, I heard your grandfather. They came together, the older eagles, Tlacalel, Kahualtzin. It is said they stood up to give drink to their captains, to those who would go forth against the lord of Michoacán. Perhaps there, the Cuesteca, 
de Tlatelolca, surrounded. Sacuatzin, Tepanzin, Sihuacuacuelzin, of courageous head and heart, they exclaim, Listen, what do the brave do? Are they not prepared to die? Do they not wish to offer sacrifices? When they saw that their warriors fled before them, the cold sparkling, and the banners of Quetzal plumes shining green, oh, do not be taken prisoners. Let it not be you. Make haste. Not those young warriors. They want to sacrifice them. If it should happen thus, we will cry like eagles. We will roar like tigers. We, the old eagle warriors. Oh, do not be taken prisoners. You, make haste. Balding war, Ashayakat. Perhaps in my old age will these words be said of my eagle princess. Let it not be thus, my grandchildren. I will have to leave you. There will be an offering of flowers. With these will be spared the warrior of the south. I am overthrown. I am scorned. I am ashamed. I, your grandfather, Ashayakat. Do not rest, you strong. May it not be. If you flee, you are destroyed. With that falls the power of your grandfather, Ashayakat. Again and again afflicted, the Mexica exert themselves. My grandchildren, those of the painted faces, from the four sides they sound their drums. The flower of the shields remain in your hands. True Mexica, my grandchildren, to remain in line, they hold firm, sound their drums. The flower of the shields remains in your hands. On the mat of the eagles, on the mat of the tigers, your grandfather is exalted as a jacket. Itlecatzin sounds conch shells in the combat, while the Quetzal plumages are obscured. He does not rest with his shield. There he begins with darts. With them, Itlecatzin wounds, while the Quetzal plumages are obscured. We, your grandparents, still live. Our darts or weapons are still powerful. With them, we brought glory to our people. Indeed, now there is weariness. Certainly there is fatigue. For this I lament. I, your grandfather Ashayakat, I remember my old friends, Guepanahuatl, Tecale, Xochitlawa, Tehuaticac. With that they come here, each one of those lords, who made themselves known there in Chalco. The brave ones might come to take up the bells. The brave ones might encircle the princess. For this I can laugh. I, your grandfather, at your woman's weapons, at your woman's seals, conquerors of ancient times. Live once again. Cantares Mexicanos, National Library of Mexico. The indigenous chroniclers speak also about several Nahua women versed in the art of poetry. Ixtlisochit mentions some of them, like the celebrated royal concubine nicknamed Lady of Tula, with whom Nezahualpili, the ruler of Texcoco, more than once had his pleasure. In the words of the Texcocan chronicler, she was so wise that she could discuss with the ruler and the wisest man in his kingdom and was very gifted in poetry. Chimalpajin, in his relations, as well as the annales of Cuautitlán, also mentioned women who composed songs and transcribed a few fragments of their productions. 
A magnificent example of the tenderness of Nahua women and their talent for poetry is found in a lengthy song in the frequently quoted Cantares Mexicanos in the National Library of Mexico. It is the transcription of a Cosolquicat, a cradle song, composed for the little dog Witzel, who later was to become Lord of the Mexica. It is known that this song was the work of a woman because several times she mentions herself in it. I am a Mexican maiden. I, the little maid, conceived my song in the interior of the House of Flowers. But while this poem, one of the most beautiful in the collection, can be assigned to a young girl of Anahuac who knew how to compose songs, unfortunately her name is not recorded nor is anything known about her. However, there is a poem in the same manuscript, also the creative work of a woman, whose name is known. It is indeed unfortunate that no other precise references have been found in the sources that permit us to identify the authors of several compositions that undeniably were the work of talented Nahua women. The poem that will be transcribed and commented upon here can be attributed to Makwil Sochitsin, a Mexica woman of noble lineage born around 1435. She was a native of Mexico Tenochtitlan where she probably lived during most of the remaining years of the 15th century. Her father was a renowned counselor of several Mexica high rulers, Tlacaele. The chronicler de Sosomoc provides the following information about the offspring of Tlacaele. The other 12 children of the aged Tlacaele Chihuacuat, each one had different mother and were engendered in various places. Here are their names. These two were women, the seventh called Makwilsochitzin. Of her was born the prince Kawatapatzin. Princess Makwilsochitzin could have been called by this name because she was born on a day five flower of the Mexica calendar, which is what her name means. It could also be a pet name used when her love for poetry was known because Makwilsochitz was one of the titles by which the god-goddess of art, songs and dance was invoked. The ancient Nahua texts, when describing the favorable or unfavorable qualities of each day, tell about the day five flower and the feast in honor of Makwilsochitl, that whoever was born on that day was destined to be a composer of songs. Makwilsochitzin, daughter of the powerful Tlacaelel, appears to have had such a destiny. She was carefully educated from childhood and heard from the lips of her mother the ancient discourse addressed to the little girl who is like jade, gets all plumage, the most precious reality that come forth upon earth. At that time, she began to know what was to be her destiny in the world, how she was to act and by what road one approached the gods to obtain the precarious happiness granted to mortals. It was Makwilsochitzin's good fortune to live during the days of greatest Mexica splendor. A few years before the probable date of her birth, her uncles, the high ruler Iscoat and Motecuzoma Ilwikamina I, who was then a captain, following the advice of her father Tlacaelel, had defeated the ancient rulers of Azcapotzalco. While Makwilsochitzin was still a young girl, her native Tenochtitlan began to be an important metropolis, 
To it flowed every kind of tribute as well as merchandise brought by the Pochtecas, those merchants who went to remote regions. Presumably, Makulsochitsin received some precious jewels, fine clothes, and other gifts from her father. Like the women of her lineage, she must have known the art of weaving and embroidery, and also how to prepare food and drink, which could have been a source of pleasure at of Tlacaelel on more than one occasion. Although all the people, and especially the nobles, respected and admired the great consular, called Conqueror of the World, by Tesosomok, Makwilsochitsin, as shown in her poem, in addition to the respect and love she had for him as father, also became interested in his activities, his triumphs and conquests, and even in the advice he gave on behalf of Tenochtitlan. It is not strange that the only poem that likely can be attributed to Makwilsochitsin is concerned with one of the most important conquests planned by Tlacaelel, her father, and carried out successfully by Lord Ashakakatsin. The Mexica, after the triumph over the Tepaneca of Azcapotzalco, began a long series of conquests, led first by Iscoat and later by Motecuzoma el Guicamina, but always with the advice of Tlacaelel. In this way, they conquered the chiefdoms of Cuitlahuac, Miscuic, Xochimilco, Culhuacan, Chalco, Tepeaca, Tecamachalco, and others, even further away in the Huesteca and in the country of the Totonaca in present-day Veracruz. In the time of Ashayacat, who was installed as high ruler in the year Three House, or 1469, the old quarrels with the neighboring Tlatelolca resulted in their being forced to submit to the authority of Tenochtitlan. Princess Makulsochitsin must have known about all these conquests, not only because of her father's involvement, but because she contemplated the frequent departures of warriors who returned victorious, accompanied by a great number of captives, and riches, the booty of their conquests. In the year 10 Flint, or 1476, the Mexica once more made ready for war. This campaign was directed against the Metlatzinka and the Otomi in the valley of Toluca. Makuelsuchitzin may even have known the words of Tlacaelel spoken to Ashayakat on that occasion. The chronicler Tesosomok recalls that the great consular, the Ceres of complete victory, gave his advice to the supreme Mexica ruler in this form. Now, my son, I am already very old. After my death, I do not know what will happen with this affair, and therefore the authority is in your hands that you now go against them and destroy them so that they come under our rule and pay tribute without any leniency. The Sosomok and other chroniclers recorded this campaign and detail. It ended in a sweeping victory for the Mexica army, but it was not so fortunate for him personally as he was seriously wounded in the leg by an Otomi captain named Tlilatl, a leader among his people as the chronicler describes it. The hardy soldiers caught up with those of Toluca and say to them, Surrender, surrender, for it is your ill look to have to pay tribute to us and be our vassals. Arriving at Lacotepec, again there were many people on the side of those of Toluca waiting for the Mexica so as to attack them on the flank. 
When Ashoyakat arrived with forces, and as soon as he saw them, he began to sound a tambourine which they called Chopiwewet, from joy, and then, with his plumage, he went so fast and ran with such undaunted courage that his enemies trembled. At that moment, an Otomi captain, by the name of Quetzpal, with another name, Tilat, a valiant warrior, was hidden under a century plant, and suddenly, as Ashoyakat passed, he came out and wounded, wounded him in the tide, which made him fall on his knees. Only the timely arrival of Mexica forces saved Ashoyakat from death, and in a short time assured the defeat of the enemy. Then, immediately, as was customary, a messenger was sent to tell the elderly Tlacaelel the good news about his victory, and, at the same time, he was advised and knew how Ashoyakat came to be wounded in the leg that an Ottoman captain had wounded him. There was a solemn welcome for Ashoyakat and his men in Mexico Tenochtitlan. Very likely, much must have been said about the unpleasant side of the war and particularly about the mishap suffered by the lord of the Mexica. It is natural that Lacaelel, relatives and friends, would know not only the final outcome of the struggle but also other seemingly secondary details that the chronicles mentioned only in passing. Maquil Suchitsin, knowing all about it, composed a song in the memory of what appears to have been one of the last conquests planned by her father. In it, she emphasizes the important role played by a group of Otomi women who, by their pleas to Ashayakat, saved the life of the captain who had wounded him. Maquil Suchitsin's song is included in the collection preserved in the National Library of Mexico as well. The daughter of Tlacaelel makes her intention perfectly clear. She wants to give thanks to the supreme god of the Mexica and record for posterity the victory of her people. She says, I raise my songs, I, Makulsuchitsin, with them I gladden the giver of life. She confesses that she does not know if her songs would rise to the dwelling place of the giver of life, but it is consoled by thinking that at least they will be known here on earth. Recalling Lord Ashayakat, who was only to survive a short time after the conquest of the Matlatzinka, she continues as if speaking to him. Ashayakatin, you have conquered the city of Tlacotepec. There went to make forays your flowers, your butterflies. With these, you have made offerings of flowers and feathers to the giver of life. Makwilsuchitsin then describes the preparations for war as if she had seen them with her own eyes. Ashayakat puts the eagle shields on the arms of his men. There were the war rages in the midst of the plain. The flowers of the eagle remain in your hands, Lord Ashayakat. On every side, Ashayakat made conquests. In Matlatzinko, in Malinalco, in Oquilen. Thus, praising Ashayakat's deeds that brought into Mexica hands, the flowers of the eagle, divine flowers, Makwilsochitzin devotes a large part of her song to recalling the role played by some women when the great Mexica chieftain was wounded. There, in Shikwipuilco, was Ashayakat, wounded in the leg by anatomy. His name was Tlilat. From the chronicles it is known that, due to the prompt arrival of Mexica reinforcements, Tlilat was taken prisoner. 
Bakuel-Sochitsin depicts the Otomi turning to his women and ordering them to care for the wounded Ashajakat. He said to them, prepare a breech cloth and a cape. Give this to your men. When Ashayakat recovered, he had the captain, Tilat, brought to him. And Ashayakat called out, Bring the Atomi who wounded me in the leg. The poem then comments on the well-founded fear of the Atomi, putting into his mouth words that express his great agitation. Now truly they will kill me. Tilat came fearfully, bowing low before Ashayakat and humbly offering a deerskin and a large piece of wood, which were probably rich treasures from the poor Otomis. The final part of Makwil Sochitsin's song shows her compassion as she says, He was full of fear, the Otomi, but then his women made supplication for him to Ashajakat. Their pleading seems to have reached the heart of the Mexica high ruler, and at least for the moment, Lilat's life was saved. This is the theme of the song that presumably was composed by Princess Makwilsochitsin, daughter of Tlacaelet. No other poems by this noble woman or further details of her life are known. The only positive information is that already quoted by the chronicler, the Sosomok. Of her was born the prince Kwautlapaltzin. However, little this may be, Makwilsochitsin confirms and ex exemplifies the assertion of various native chroniclers. In the pre-Hispanic Nahuatl world, there were also feminine faces and hearts that, as in the case of the famous lady of Tula, excelled in the art of poetry. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us to find out more about our guests and the topics discussed in this show, please do so through our Facebook page Perspectives from Abya Yala and Beyond or via email to perspectivestrendradio at gmail.com. Gracias por escucharnos. Para contactarse con nosotros o encontrar más información acerca de nuestros invitados y los temas del programa, por favor síganos en nuestra página de Facebook Perspectivas desde Abyayala y más allá, o por email a programa perspectivas trend.com. Masekwali Yowali, Makwali Oktli, Klasok Kamati.